This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 496 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Today's tip is brought to you by EquestrianCollections.com. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is from Julie Firstman. Julie is widely recognized as one of the nation's leading counselors and litigators of equine law. Her practice crosses all equine breeds and disciplines and serves a wide range of equine professionals and associations. She's the author of several books on equine law for lawyers, as well as laypersons like you and I. In addition, she has written over 200 articles on equine law, and her articles have been published in magazines that include Equus, Horse Illustrated, and Stable Management. Julie's tip today is about veterinary malpractice, what it is and what it isn't. But first, a word about today's sponsor, EquestrianCollections.com. When you need to resupply, replace, update, or invest in the stuff that makes your horse life possible, stop by EquestrianCollections.com first. Browse through some 7,000 boot choices from great brands like Ariat, Boggs, Mountain Horse, Ovation, Smoky Mountain, and more. Outfit yourself in the latest and the greatest. And don't forget your horse. EquestrianCollections.com offers some 400 blankets, sheets, and coolers from Buckus, Amigo, and Rambo by Horseware, Hug, Kensington, Triple Crown Custom, and Weatherbeta, just to name a few. Your horse will be warm and dry and stylish this winter. Not sure what type of saddle pad you want? Well, go to Equestrian Collections because they have over 600 different choices. No matter whether you ride English, Western, or bareback around the backyard, EquestrianCollections.com has the most amazing selection of brand name products you are going to find anywhere. So stop by today, EquestrianCollections.com. Now, enjoy today's tip. And here we are again with Julie Firstman talking about all things law and equine. And it looks like today we're up for Veterinary Malpractice 101, a thoroughly misunderstood topic, I suspect. It really is. I think the perception of veterinary malpractice is so much different, so different from the reality. Oh, you mean, you mean to tell me that veterinarians don't have people suing them left and right and people are winning bazillions of dollars for, the, their, for their trouble? Well, it may be happening, but you certainly don't hear about it because the <laughs> frequency that veterinarians are sued around the country is not all that great. Compared to medical malpractice, where a human was the victim of some degree of malpractice from a doctor, the number of suits against veterinarians, as far as I am aware, is uh, much, much smaller. That's a good thing. And there are a few reasons. A lot of reasons for that. Yeah, what, yeah why is that? Well, it's, it's a complicated case. It takes four things to be able to uh, win a case against a veterinarian in a veterinary malpractice case. And the very same elements are there, too, if you're going to sue a doctor for medical malpractice. First, you've got the burden of proving, if you're the one who's got the claim, that the veterinarian had a duty, a legally recognized one, to do things in a certain way. And that means that he wasn't supposed to over-inject your horse with medication that would be designed for a 2,000-pound horse 
if it was a little miniature. And then, of course, the animal dies. So first you have to prove a duty to handle a professional manner in a, manner in a certain way. And to be able to do that uh, requires a, another expert for the most part. You will need to find, with very few exceptions, another veterinarian to, to testify this is what the veterinarian at issue was supposed to do. But then the second thing you must prove if you're going to sue a vet would be that the veterinarian departed from that duty, the duty that, of course, I mentioned to do things in a certain way, uh, departed from the duty by somehow doing things wrong. For example, during the surgery, not removing the scalpel that he left inside your animal. Um, you hear about things like that. Usually they don't find their way into the courts. Those things get quietly and quickly resolved. Resolved. Uh, or the yeah. uh, the veterinarian who departed from the duty because he or she should have detected that the horse's colic was severe enough to require surgery. And by the time the problem was discovered, because the vet didn't do it in a timely way, it was too late to intervene and do surgery. So you have to prove that the vet departed from or breached that duty. Okay, I have, a, I, have a, I have a quick question about number one. Yeah. Um, veterinarian injects the wrong quantity of a medication because they just had a brain-free moment, gave the animal 2,000 pounds worth of stuff when the animal weighed 800 pounds. Serious problem results. Um, legally, if... George, he's my favorite horseman, goes to a veterinarian, Jose, and says to Jose, I need someone to um, testify in court that that was the wrong thing to do. Is there any legal obligation for veterinarian Jose to say, yes, I will, I will? Not at all. No legal obligation. And what makes these cases even more uh, complicated and costly is when you hire your expert witness to bring or to testify in that case, you'll have to pay him or her for his or her time. And that isn't always inexpensive because a veterinarian's time is worth something. They're taking away from their practice. So you not only have the difficulty of finding the right vet who has knowledge of what the vet did wrong, uh, you, for example, you wouldn't want a, a vet who works with dogs and cats and parakeets to talk about lameness in a horse. You right. first need to find a vet who has expertise in what the vet at issue did, but then you also have to find uh, the, the vet at the right cost. Um, so finding the vet and then paying the vet alone can be uh, pretty difficult for some, and okay. uh, that might explain why some of these cases just don't get brought. Wow. Interesting. Okay. The other thing you'd have to prove is, uh, it sounds like you had a question there. Should I back off? <laughs> no, it's just like, okay, that's, that's very interesting because that just adds to what already sounds like a complicated process. It is. You can write, um, a, this would be a really great murder mystery novel. <laughs> Maybe it's been written about. It probably has. Have yeah. done it? <laughs> yeah. Well, Continue, I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. The second thing you have to prove, or the third thing actually, is that it was the veterinarian's misconduct and it wasn't something else that caused the horse's demise. So, for example, if the horse was already on its way out, uh, so to speak, because of a severe bout of colic and you called in a vet at the last minute with the dream, the hope that you could save this horse, but the vet maybe did something wrong, didn't do the right test, 
If the animal was going to go anyway and the vet didn't do anything to change that, well, then you may have a hard time on that point, but that's your burden to prove that it was the vet's wrongdoing that caused the loss at issue. So the vet, you have to prove then that the veterinarian either did or didn't do something that directly caused the horse to die or the horse to go lame or whatever the result was. Okay. That what the vet did or didn't do played a role in the outcome. And uh, sometimes it's, um, it's easy to prove. For example, the vet was the last person to touch the horse, maybe did a spinal tap on the horse, but something went wrong, and now the horse is uh, permanently disabled. Uh, you might find that it's easier to prove something like that, uh, but other times it's pretty darn tough, and that's where the expert testimony comes in again and has to be able to look at the facts, and, and that person has to be able to testify on that point. Uh, but the final point, and this may be another reason, that these cases are not commonly brought You've got to prove that you lost money, and that's um, another easier said than done point because we can prove it if the horse were a proven broodmare, a proven stallion, and you knew what your uh, generated income was from this horse, your net income on an annual basis. But what if it's your gelding, your trail horse that you just had a lot of fun with? How do you prove the value of a horse like that? How do you make that value enough to bring the case? How do you make that value worth your while? That's a tough one. Yeah, because it, it's it's a very it's a complicated process. It involves a number of different professionals, at least one expert person, at least one lawyer person, um, a lot of time. So the next thing that I thought of when we got to talking about this one is if you have health or life insurance on your animal, you have thunder the trail horse your favorite trail horse and you just love him to death no pun intended and thunder needs to have his hocks injected and the veterinarian comes out to inject his hock and things go as you say horribly wrong and now thunder is permanently unrideable and before the vet came in he was perfectly rideable but a little stiff so you're pretty sure what went wrong there now if you have different types of insurance on your animal, that might give you some recourse financially in that if you had, probably wouldn't on a trail horse, but if you have a loss of use policy, that might do something. Or if you had health insurance, and let's say the health insurance for the sake of argument covered hawk injections, would that change the map? In some way it does, in some way it doesn't. If you had major medical insurance through your mortality policy, that major medical insurance might be the the, uh, pot that pays the veterinarian for the procedure, that is to say the procedure you don't like. So that's a cost that you don't have to bear because it's covered possibly by your major medical. But then the next question is what if something goes wrong? Does your insurance factor in to the point where maybe you can be made whole from your insurance and you have just reached a very interesting issue that we ought to cover next time. And <gasps> Ooh, a new one. <laughs> with a mortality policy, if the horse is going to be a little stiff but the vet doesn't think he needs to be put down, you're probably not going to recover. The horse will stay permanently a pasture ornament, never a riding horse, and you will not recover under your mortality policy. Um, and if you have a loss of use policy, you would only have it if it's a show horse or some kind of an income-generating horse. A trail horse won't have a loss of use policy. But let's say you did. 
you would only get a percentage, sometimes 50 to 60% of -hmm. the value of the horse. And you're still out some money here. Uh, And the company, if you get money back, may then have the right to sue that for malpractice. It now has the right to bring the case. So that's what I was curious about because you hear about, and again, not being up to tuned into, the only thing I know about law is what I see on a TV set, which is, of course, complete conjecture. So if a, just like in the, in the human medical field, if a um, doctor or veterinarian um, screws up and the patient or horse is insured, there can be an instance where the insurance company would file a suit versus the owner of the animal. True, and sometimes both can with cooperation of the other. The insurance company will say, we want back the money that we, we paid out, and you might say, I want even more because my horse was worth, uh, say, 100000 and I only insured him for fifty. So the owner and the insurance company join forces, and each of them gets back the value that they're out, meaning the insurance company gets back what it paid, and the owner gets that excess. That can happen, too. It's possible. It doesn't occur all that much, but uh, you do hear about that happening. Interesting. Well, we will definitely have to revisit how insurance can affect the landscape of equine law the next time we get together and do some more tips. How about that? Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much for stopping by, Julie. Um, I'm chock-a-block full of new facts and factoids. I've taken several pages of notes and uh, had a great time with it, and uh, we'll be seeing you again soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Well, there you go. Thanks a lot, Julie. To listen to all of Julie's tips, just go to horsetipdaily.com and go to the Experts drop-down menu on the left. All of the experts are right there, alphabetized and easy to find. You can also go to Julie's blog at www.equinelawblog.com. Please stop by the Horse Tip Daily Facebook page and let us know what you think of the tips you hear on the show. It's also a great place to tell us about topics you'd like to hear us cover. You can subscribe to all of the great shows on the Horse Radio Network through iTunes or Zune and get your horse podcasts automatically downloaded to your iPod, Zune, or MP3 player. I'll be back again tomorrow with another new expert and a different horse tip. Until then, go ride your horse! The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.